We chase as consumers an experience, shopping, eating, drinking, traveling, whatever. And golf, that's the same thing. And the best, most successful places have an inherent appreciation for and a hyper-focus on the overall experience. Welcome back to the National Links Trust podcast, telling the story, sharing the history, and emphasizing the importance of municipal golf courses in the diverse communities in which they reside. I'm Michael Kornheiser with Claude Jennings. For more information on all that National Links Trust is doing to protect and promote affordable and engaging municipal golf courses that will positively impact local communities across the U.S., check out nationallinkstrust.com. On today's episode, we are excited to have Matt Janella, co-creator of the Fire Pit Collective. And Matt, as a way of working towards maybe Winter Park, the Fire Pit Collective, and more of your work today, we'd love to just sort of start back at the beginning. You are a storyteller. So would you mind sharing with us your origin story for golf? As it relates to the game of golf, um, you know, I, my a neighbor, a good friend, you know, I, maybe we're nine or 10 years old in Santa Rosa, California, playing every sport, you know, it just, it was a seasonal thing back then, you know, baseball, uh, flag football, soccer, basketball, that was the rota. And then um, I had a friend, a, a friend was into golf. Uh, he lived down the street and I was over at his house when he and his dad left the house to go play golf. And they sort of offered me to come along. And I made a phone call. I'll never forget about I made a phone call to my mom to essentially say, can I go play golf? And uh, she said, yeah, I'm going with Al Cohen and, you know, and Matt Cohen, my buddy. And we went to the Sonoma County Fairgrounds and inside nine, like nine holes that's still there to this day. And you pay, I don't know, it's probably three bucks. I mean, you know, it was and and Al Cohen he sort of explained the game to me and allowed me to tee the ball up. It's another thing I'll never forget. I was allowed to tee the ball up wherever it was on the golf course. And I remember hitting a lot of, you know, nine iron. Like I love the idea of like the nine iron and a teed up golf ball. Like that thing got off the air, off the ground. You know what I mean? And um, meanwhile, Matt Cohen was put it like, I was like, wow, that's crazy. He's really good at this. And he was, he, you know, so he, he was the friend that sort of got me into it. And then, then my uncle played at a very high level. Uh, my dad was, has been forever a 22 handicap and played on weekends. And then, but I worked at golf courses. So that was the other thing is uh, I started picking ranges, changing grips, Oakmont golf course, Santa Rosa, California, home of Charles Schultz, who did uh, Snoopy and peanuts. And then, um, you know, so from time to time, you know, I, we, he'd show up and he was, a, he was super philanthropic and helping the golf course and put on all kinds of charity things. And, and uh, I saw the game, I, I ended up behind the counter and, uh, and played college golf at St. Mary's and then became the golf photo editor at Sports Illustrated the same week Tiger Woods turned pro in Milwaukee Open 1996. So it's been a magic carpet ride, honestly, for my whole existence. I've never checked you know, my watch, I've lived in a, I've done a whole career of never looking at my watch. You know, it's interesting you say that because, you know, I watch you on Golf Channel and, you know, you're doing these shows where you're traveling, you're playing golf, you're staying at great resorts, you're eating great food. I'm like, how is this a job? How is this a job? Explain to me, like, 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 and you may have alluded to it in the story already, what hooked you and when did it like registering your mind, this is what I'm going to do. It, it, it's uh, it's been a, it's been a crazy progression. I mean, it is, it, it, uh, it's so, so ridiculous that I've made a career out of this. It's totally. <laughs> <ridiculous>. <laughs> 
I, uh, I mean, you know, it was always just saying, you know, I, I'll never forget, like, you know, someone told me early advice by some mentor or, you know, like, don't say no. I mean, as you know, I had an idea. I wanted to get paid to follow sports. And because because I was pretty broad in sort of the scope of things, you know, I, I wanted to be the play by play announcer of the San Diego Padres. Like that was my dream job. Like, you know, that in my mind, I did radio in high school, did radio in college, called, you know, called the games for the f- football and, and, and basketball programs at St. Mary's. I was I was into that. And but but someone told me, don't like, don't say no. So when I said someone said, you want to you know, be, have a non-paid internship at Sports Illustrated? Yes. Which led to working in the photo department. Sure. It sounds cool. Wait, I, fo- a photo editor. I don't even know what that is, but yeah. in OK, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm helping produce photos. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm on photo shoots with Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson or Jack Nicholas. Or I'm like, this is cool. I'm at Sports Illustrated. I'm stealing stationery. When I first get the job, I'm like, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. So I was stealing stationery and sending my buddies notes saying I'm at Sports <laughs> Illustrated, like trying to sort of play that up. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then, you know, so, and then the photo department offered me a full-time job. And then as the photo department, I would go out on shoots and I, 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 I met, I'll never forget, but the, uh, one of my biggest aha moments that set the path of my whole life was the Kentucky Derby where Jerry Bailey, caught uh cabinier uh chris mccarran and cabinier were about to win the kentucky derby and jerry bailey came flying on the outside lane and i'm i was also the horse racing photo editor because that was only like five times a year so you know so i'd go to all the big events and i'm on the inside rail firing a plunger camera that i hit the button and 35 cameras along the inside rail would fire 36 frames of film back then Mm. it was film and I bag all that up and come back to New York with all the film from all the photographers at Sports Illustrated for the Kentucky Derby. So, and I'm watching these jockeys go by and Chris McCarron didn't see Jerry Bailey because he was so far on the outside rail. So he caught him. And as they went by the, the finish line, Chris McCarron goes, looks over to Jerry Bailey and goes, I think I got him. I, 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 I you know, you got me. And Bailey goes, no, you got me. And they go back and forth like, you got me. And I'm watching this as they're going by me on the rail. So I bag up all the film. I'm on my way back. I fly out of, uh, of, of Kentucky. And I think we stopped somewhere along the way to go to New York. And mind you, Jerry Bailey's from New York. Jerry Bailey goes on to win the Kentucky Derby. He's on my plane with the roses <laughs> I mean, it was, <laughs> and it's a small plane. Like we're on a small plane and he's going back to New York. And, and I go, I go, Oh shit. So we lay over and he stays on the plane. Everyone gets off. And they say, you've got to get back on the plane in an hour and a half. I go take a couple of shots at the bar. I'm like, I got to go back in and talk to Jerry Bailey. And I go back in, you know, I get go, go back in and I sit right behind him. No one's on the plane. I sit right behind him and his wife. And I go, Mr. Bailey, I lean over awkwardly, you know, very awkward, like <laughs> creepy over. And he goes, yeah, I go, Matt Janella from Sports Illustrated. I'm flying all the film back to New York. I've got all the film. I was on the inside rail and I happened to hear you exchange commentary with Chris McCarron there as you came down the I, can, do you mind if I ask you a few questions he goes oh what are you the next Bill Knack and I go <laughs> well you know Bill Knack is like my legend you know like I so I'm like yeah so I had this paper I had I cobbled together and I start take and his wife says hey why don't you come sit next to him mm. I'll sit over here you know I sit next to Jerry Bailey I interview him on the plane ask him like 10 questions so so uh you know why'd you take the outside rail blah 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 and uh, 
I get back. To, I said, thank you so much. And I go back in one of those old phones in the back of the chair, you know, uh, mind you, I'm just a photo editor, right? But I'm like, I got some good shit. I think I need to get this to home office. <laughs> I pull the phone out, credit card. It costs like $100 every 10 seconds. I'm like, you know, whatever. And uh, I call back to the office and uh, I talk to the director of photography. I'm like, I'm on the phone with Jerry Bailey. I just interviewed him. I, you know, I got to get these notes somewhere. Why are you calling me? Why don't you call Sandy Bailey, the editor? And so <laughs> I'm like, oh, sorry. Well, they transferred me down, you know, and I, why are you calling me? You should call Bill Knack. He's writing the story. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I don't, I don't know how to get Bill Knack. He gives me the phone number. I call Bill Knack and I give him all my notes. You know, Bill Knack, the great Bill Knack. I'm mm-hmm. Matt Janella. William Knack is like one of the greatest sports writers of all time. And Matt Janella, some, you know, asshole from Santa Rosa, California is calling with. And, uh, and he goes, well, tell me what you got. I gave him the whole scene, answers to the questions, this and that. And I come back, we edit the film, we put it, and the, the next day, the managing editor, Bill Colson, comes in my office and shuts the door. My little office, you know, 19th floor, Time Life building. And he says, uh, I hear we uh, we owe you uh, some, you know, some attaboys, some congratulations. I'm mm. like, what? How? Why? He goes, have you not read Bill Knack's story? I was like, no. He goes, apparently all of your notes are his opening two paragraphs to the to the lead story of the Kentucky Derby where that, you know. Mm. And I was like, I was hooked. That was the blood in the water. Now I was like, whoa. And I went, <laughs> then I read it, right? And if you read it, that's that story. It talks about how McCarran and, and Bailey are going back for it. You got it. No, I think you got it. And in the end, Bailey won. And so that then that led to Columbia Journalism School because I was like, now I want to try to tell the stories instead of just produce the photos for them. Columbia Journalism School led to the degree that led to Golf Die just being able to hire me as a travel writer, which led to, you know, which led to whatever the hell it is that I have I've had as a career. I love hearing the the path through the art department and then returning back to what you love, which is the storytelling within sport and really using the lens of of the camera as you're trying to meet the moment, whether it's with your friend's dad, as you're playing the family tease before that really was an idea and how those small moments can eventually lead to this. So, you know, as I hear you telling these stories, I'm thinking about as we come back to, you know, municipal golf, as we come back to your home track, what are some of the pieces as you look back at, um, you know, all of your experiences in golf, as you look at your, your travel, as you go to different parts, uh, you know, of the world to try and see the game, what does make a successful municipal golf course? Um, I mean, you know, it is if you look at it like it's a park mm-hmm. where you happen to be able to play the game of golf, that in, a, that in its essence would set you on a path to success because that means it's come one, come all. Uh, a park, there are no boundaries within the framework of a park, right? You go, you op- occupy some green space, you come with, you know, food, music, family, dogs, whatever you do, you know, you come with, you come in clothes that, you know, no one's criticizing anybody for anything that they wear to a park. Mm-hmm. Because it's leisure time. So if if municipalities were able to sort of uh, break away from this idea that it's golf first, because uh, I and look, you know, Winter Park from Winter Park Nine to you know Goat Hill Park, Goat Hill Park. What Goat Hill Park has over Winter Park Nine is John Ashworth. Hey, that's amazing. <laughs> and what John Ashworth has brought is this true community. He, you know, and 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 
I would tell you from observation and in-depth conversation that, that, that John would agree. Like this is, this is a park, Goat Hill Park, Winter Park, you know, whatever that that's named for a different reason, but Goat Hill Park, that, that means something there. And uh, it's so refreshing to go there, to hear music, to see a, a wide variety of ages, colors, sizes, shapes, uh, skill levels. It's questions about like, how are you? How's your family? It's a, it's a community. And there's some camaraderie, not only on the golf course, but what's happening off the golf course, like at the range or in the chairs or at the fire pit or around the, you know, it's more, it's so much more than like, what'd you shoot? There is a place where people can go who live in this community who like sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some truth to that. Right. Sometimes you just want to go where people, hey, you know, I'm inclined to go up there this afternoon just to say hi, because I haven't been up there. I'm not going to go play today, but I would like to go like see some friends. Wow. Yeah. You know, and that's what's so interesting about, about it. I mean, you know, you get to travel all across, you know, the country, all across the world, really, and 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 look at golf courses, play these courses, check out all this stuff. But there's this love for municipal courses, you know, that you have. Um, oh, yeah. What is it about these municipal courses that, despite traveling around the world, seeing some of the best private courses, and 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 other, that that you still have this love for just what the municipal courses have t- to offer? It's the people. It's the people. It's people. It's just, it's that simple, Claude. It's just that simple. It's like, I, you know, I've brought Byron Scott there. I know uh, Kelly Slater's been there. Bill Murray's been there. You know, all the pros, Xander, Charlie Hoffman, Dean Wilson plays there. Uh, Chris Riley, uh, Mike Weir, uh, Jeff Ogilvie, um, Bubba Watson. Those guys get treated the same way that the three of us would be, you know, rocking up there. It's like, oh, they, oh, they're there. Oh, cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, of course they're mm-hmm. here. Why wouldn't they be here? This is, <laughs> this is really what it's about. It's 4,500 yards, par 65, eight par threes, one very short reachable par five. Um, it, there's high risk, high reward, you know, it, it, you know, it's called being goaded. The ball goes, it's not easy. It's probably the toughest 4,500 yards you'll ever find your life. That's why I got in the match play this year that sort of the, 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 Group match play, 64 players, 22 were two were, were scratch or better. Guys who have played European tour, high level, mini tour, they're in. Dean Wilson mm-hmm. played in <laughs> and didn't win. Um, wow. So so I, I uh it's it's a little bit of all of that. It's the fact that I can bring my dog there and my son who's uh now just turned four, has been going up there since he was two and a half. It's the fact that John identified that, hey, you know. We got high golf. So there's this other piece of property off to the side, bring in a bunch of dirt. I can make a three hole kids course above there. This is where the parents will hang out in picnic tables, overlooking the kids course. Oh, in middle of there for the kids who are too young to go out there, I'll build a sand pit and put some mm. trucks and, and uh, you know, it's, there's a connecting of dots. It look at, I look, I, I think about this as the best resorts, the best restaurants, the best golf courses, the infrastructure the, there needs to be someone present who connects dots. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about the food. It's about the service. It's about the front door. It's about an overall experience. We chase as consumers, uh, an experience, shopping, eating, drinking, traveling, whatever. 
And golf, that's the same thing. And the best, most successful places have an inherent appreciation for and a hyper focus on the overall experience. And John has done it at Goat Hill Park. And Mike Kaiser has done it at Bandon Dunes. And the Kaiser Sons are doing it at Sand Valley. And, you know, it just, they're just places that pop out. You're going to, man, they get, you know, I, I love Big Cedar Lodge. I love what's happening up there. Uh, beautiful golf offerings and spectacular view. And uh, I love Johnny Morris. What a visionary. But they have a connecting of the dots problem. They don't have it figured out of getting that golf consumer from place to place and making that experience as good as it, I think it should be. No, this is a reminder that we as American golfers have been doing it backwards now for so many years. And there has been a correction. You're, you're naming all the names that have been at the front of this movement to get away from that defined golf experience. That was, that was very exclusive. Top that was golf. very one dimensional. You know Top golf took the driving range and made it an experience. Something <laughs> worth like they, they took that yellow line and everything behind it became a party, mm-hmm. food, mm-hmm. Yep. drinks, TVs, music. You know, it's it's a family thing by day. It's a nightclub by night. So <laughs> we'll wait four and four and a half hours for a for a stop. I said I, I knew that at that time. This goes back eight years ago when I was first on assignment for Golf Channel. I went to one of the first top golfs with Holly Saunders. We spent the whole day there, and I and I watched this energy. And as we were leaving at like one in the morning, people were still in line for three, waiting three hours for a booth. They closed it too. So they were waiting longer than what it was open. And I go, uh, golf doesn't have a time problem. It has an experience problem. People, if you're on the golf course at Pebble Beach for five and a half hours, who's complaining? Because you're at Pebble freaking beach. (laughs) <laughs> you don't want to rush around there in three and a half hours. Who cares? That's right. You know, because that's an experience. You know, golf doesn't have a problem of charging $500 if you deliver a 50, you know, it's a problem if you deliver a $50 experience. If you deliver a $50,000 experience for a $500 green fee, Doral Blue charges $550. You got planes landing on your head. You lose 12 golf balls. It's flat. You're, 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 you're like, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, 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 and it's 550 and I can count on one hand how many people I see on social media go, look at me. I'm at Doral Blue. I can't believe I, what a great time I had. I just mm-hmm. shot 110. I got kicked in the teeth for 550 bucks. But at Pebble Beach, you could pay 550 and go, I just had one of the greatest walks of all known to mankind and got to play golf while doing it. You talk about con- connecting the dots, right? And so let's talk about this because a lot of municipal courses, especially here. So we're in the D.C. area. Um, and, and a lot of the municipal courses are in communities that don't have a lot of golfers. How do we, when we try to grow the game, connect the dots where we have these great muni courses, but in communities that don't really gravitate towards golf? How do we connect that? Well, it's through the kid. You got to start with the kids. I mean, you know, for the most part, you got to focus on the kids. So like youth on course is something I'm actually on the board of youth on course. It's a, it's an, a program that started in Northern California, Northern California golf association with a, just a general philosophy of let's, let's put money towards subsidizing the green fees for kids. Right. So um, basically the Morton brothers in honor of their father, you know, put a, put a decent chunk of money down to the Northern California golf association in support of subsidizing kids green fees. So if kids are getting charged $25 to play golf, or $15 or whatever the number is, a youth on course member is guaranteed to only pay $5 or less. And then the golf course can then uh, bill youth on course and say, meet, you know, 
you cover the difference between $5 and whatever the junior rate is. So if it's $15, Youth On Course covers that $10, guaranteeing that the kids, the members of you know, Youth On Course kids at participating golf courses um, pay $5 or less to play golf. Because through that, then with kids comes adults. So the Youth On Course program has now swept the country. It's basically in every golf association on the country and in Canada. They're getting phone calls from Scotland, from Australia, uh, you know, because this this kind of concept of and then creating fundraising. So you create the funding, you have it in a pool, and they're they're going beyond just subsidized green fees. Now they're doing scholarships and they're doing you know caddy programs. I mean, so these kind of programs. To answer your question, this is the kind of program that if you bring the kids and you make it you know, this park and accept, and it's accessible and affordable with those kids, then comes the adults. I mean, that's mm-hmm. basically what, what happened through COVID is that all the other sports went away. What are we going to do with our time? What's healthy and what gets us off the devices and connecting as, as a group here in, in a little group, like a family or a bigger group, like a community in a healthy way. I want to see my friends. Mm-hmm. I want to see the other families that we're not using. Well, then that's the go- that that's that park and that golf course. And uh, hopefully we retain some of we're not going to do all of it. People go back to work. People go back to playing other sports, et cetera. But that tsunami of interest, you know, the, the, that came in 1997 after Tiger won the Masters. We weren't ready for it. Golf was double diamond, too hard, took too long, took, you know, mm-hmm. too expensive. We said, no, you had to wear a collar, no music. <laughs> Who are you? You're out. You're not my kind. Out, out. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. We said no. Now, uh, laws of economics and sort of social issues have presented us a situation where we we're saying yes. Yeah. I don't care what you wear. I don't care what you listen to. I don't care. Like, you know, come on again. Mm-hmm. Go to a park. Blueprint. Come on. Yeah. Make that, make it a park. What you're saying is so true because so my son Manny, he's eight and loves golf. Loved golf, and part of it might be because he sees me, he sees dad doing it. But he loves golf. Right. Loves to play. And he played in the little uh, uh, PGA Junior uh, uh, League. And there were um, seven other kids on his team. Three never even touched a golf club. And those three kids wanted to continue with showing up at the, at, at the Muni every Tuesday at six, even after the Junior PGA League was over. The parents said, I'm going to buy some clubs because, you know, my kids are trying to do this. I've seen them improve over four weeks. I think I can do this. And so there, but you're 100% right that it's about, you know, getting the kids in. I was just going to add to that. I have a, an almost four-year-old and and a two-year-old and I look, you know, I'm someone who's grown up with a lot of access to club golf, to some, you know, some of the best public courses in the country, played competitive golf as a junior and through college. And, and I am, I'm looking for those situations where it's the open arms, bring the kids in for the experience so that it's not just something that dad does, but it's something that the kids do as well. Cause that's a part of their, that's a part of our family. But, uh, you know, actually, you know, hearing all this about connecting the dots and the experience itself, there's been such a spotlight on municipal golf and so much of it is positive, but so much of it is involved big names, big projects. And with all that comes some criticism. I, there's been very famous arguments against that, you know, the walk in the park and the use of land and what this could better be served for, for others. And that's an easy argument to make for people that don't, that don't play. But 
as you see this attention and so much of the spotlight, again, is good. Do you have any worries about losing some of that identity, some of that community that, that you recognize and feel so, so readily? So I guess I'm not understanding. Why do you think we'd potentially lo- lose the identity? What, what do you mean? What, what's, no, there's just been, the there's been some criticism that says if and when groups come in to make some of these changes, as we look at resorts that, that do have a, that do have a, a barrier in terms of price or other or other moments of access, but you also think about municipal courses that are very much part of entrenched small golfing communities. They don't necessarily see the need or the value of having such and such name come in right now. And they might say, well, we're actually happy with the community that we have right now. We're already having those conversations, those experience. Do you, do you, do you worry at all about this attention from perceived outsiders who are coming in and making those changes? Well, that is the, that is the fight. I mean, that's always going to be part of the, that's going to always be part of the narrative, unfortunately, is sort of, you know, golf is always going to have to be proving itself as a, as an asset uh, to a community. I think I, you know, water costs, uh, you know, again, environmentally golf is leading the way in terms of efficiency with reclaimed water and use of reclaimed water. I mean, Scott's, I did the story a couple of years ago when Pasa Tiempo was going through the crazy drought in Santa Cruz, you know, in Santa Cruz and the water costs there, they were in potable water. They were trying to find well water. They were, you know, they were um, looking for other options. Meantime, their neighbors in Scott's Valley who had an amazing water plant, a water sort of, you know, revitalization plant, a reclaimed water plant, were producing so much reclaimed water, they were pumping their excess into the ocean. So while Positive Tampa, their neighbor, is desperate and on the, you know, it's on the brink of disaster after a five-year drought, Scotts Valley is, meanwhile, sending their excess water into the ocean. And so through a little compromise and conversation and education of, wait a minute, you let Pasa Tiempo go. Pasa Tiempo is a key aspect of this community, job-wise, exposure-wise, property value-wise. Oh, yeah, you make some good points there. How many people from Scotts Valley are working at Pasa Tiempo or frequent that facility or remember, like, this is going to impact more than just, you know. So, and why is... Why is Ben Crenshaw taking on his alma mater on behalf of Lions Muni? I mean, Ben Crenshaw taking on the University of Texas. Who's more of a longhorn than Ben freaking? <laughs> and he's willing to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need this city, this community needs green space to exist for so much more than just, you know, uh, green feet. This is a place where people can come. So, I mean, that, that, you know, and John had to rally the community here in Oceanside to save Goat Hill Park. And I just got back from Belmont in Richmond, Virginia, where literally the community rallied around another golf course. Tillinghast Original goes back to the, you know, beginning (laughs) early 1900s. And Davis Love and his brother Mark and Scott Sherman went in there with a plan and and, uh, redid 12 holes, which looked phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And they took the other piece of property and made a six-hole par three course. And then they made a driving range and they made it a first tee program. That's a flag in the ground. Like Belmont almost went away. And now what's going to happen because of the investment made by this community? How many kids, how many lives are going to change? How many people are going to roam that land doing what it is that we do? Walk, talk, swing, you know, whatever. 
I mean, the kids that are going to be going through that that facility, going back to like, you got to start with the kids, you know, what's going to be happening in DC with what's happening, you know, and, and a big part of why we've connect, connected, like, I can't wait to see the ripple effect of what's being done with, with National Links Trust. I mean, that's going to be mind boggling. Look at what's, look at what as a result of what happened at Bethpage or Harding Park and big cities, you know, with, with investments back into these municipal, go. Torrey Pine spent $24 million redoing the North Course. Mm-hmm. So if a city's willing to spend that amount of money on the north course what what is it that 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 those municipalities are generating in terms of 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 revenue for that community you know i i look at your your travel your past the access you've had to some of the best golf courses all over and i would just ask like you know just simple you know, actionable advice as to how we can make golf more accessible and inclusive. I know there's there's obviously the large practice stuff, but just on a micro level, what are some of the pieces we might be able to do? Specifically, if, if it's not just sort of the general soulful approach of an experience and sort of making it a little more, you know, I just generally say yes. You know what say I mean? Yes. Like, mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. just say yes. Can we play five? Yes. If you keep up with the group in front of you and now it's on them, you know, like you said, yeah. that. like, uh, can I, can I wear a t-shirt? Yes, absolutely. This is your leisure time. We're not a private club. So if it's not a private club, you know, yeah, people have rules and restrictions about, about, you know, what you can and can't wear into maybe a restaurant or something, but at the base of it, you could pretty much rock up almost anywhere mm-hmm. and do what you do and, and get a, get a meal. Right. As long as you, you know what I mean? Like, you know, so I just generally say yes. You know, don't forget, you know, we, you know, we're the paying customers. How many times do you look on an airline and being like, can't believe I'm being treated like, <laughs> am I being treated like a paying customer? Or am I being treated like a nuisance to the mm-hmm, customer? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to get from A to B and you are my, my way. And I'm paying you a lot of money to do that. Like, mm-hmm. at least give me a smile and a pat on the back. <laughs> say, thanks for coming. Like, you know, this is, we are the customer. We we're paying to play a game. This Mm -hmm. is supposed to be a game. Mm -hmm. It is. Let's not overcook it. Let's not think so highly of ourselves or whatever it is that we think the, the, the way it should look or feel or sound or like, it's not about, it's not about you Mm -hmm. get people up and out there and having a good time and they might actually come back. Right. Right. I love that. Right. Say I mean, yes. Michael Kaiser, Mike Kaiser, I never forget another aha moment is when, you know, he installed the 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 punch bowl, which is free, which is <laughs> the greatest one of the greatest little uses of land known to mankind is the punch bowl. Uh, a putting course where you go around and you you know, you just you have a blast and if you walk up there and you and you spend 15 minutes at the Pacific Dunes clubhouse and you overlook the punch bowl all you're going to hear the what's going to be reverberating up and out of this land is good times mm-hmm. for free mm-hmm. so i'll never forget i asked mike i'm like i don't get this uh aren't you undermining your business model aren't people more inclined who are no, more inclined to play pay to play 36 holes might play 18 pay to play 18 and then go spend the rest of the afternoon at the punch bowl and granted they're 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 drinking and eating or whatever but it's not <laughs> like didn't aren't you undermining your own business model here and he's like well i see where you say that and i yeah probably it's not the greatest idea but my business model isn't based on people coming by here once mm-hmm. i'm in a remote part of the southwest coast of oregon i i need people to come back 
So if they leave here feeling like, wow, they didn't kill me on the menu. They didn't kill me on the drinks and, 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 and wine. They didn't kill me on the rooms. They didn't kill me on. They, I got the punch bowl was an afternoon for free and we had so much fun. I, uh, I didn't have, I could, I didn't even really have to take a rental car. You know, I mean, whatever I paid, it's probably somewhere between 1500 and 3500 or 5500 depending on mm-hmm. how you did it with caddies or rooms or whatever or wine that's always going to be half of what you spent at Pebble Beach and you're probably more inclined to come back to Bandon Dunes you talk yeah. about saying yes and just even scrolling through your Twitter feed you say yes to interesting sports stories interesting golf stories you're taking different angles and so thank you for your time and thank you for the for the stories that you are sharing yeah guys well I appreciate the opportunity I wish you guys uh, luck on your endeavor and and uh, great vibe obviously and uh, mm-hmm. let me know if there's anything I can ever do to help or or if you have any questions and uh, I do believe that we are all in this together in some way shape or form you know that you know not only as golf but as you know just people roaming the planet and you know uh the game has given me so much oh my god you know and i that's why i told my wife i said the one thing i'm going to do is i will force my son to learn the game of golf i'm Mm -hmm. not going to force him to play the game that'll be his choice i'm going to force him to learn it and i want him to learn the grip and the stance and the rules and the integrity and the fundamentals and then once he's kind of proven that to me he can do whatever he wants you know he Mm. can he can he can come and go but He'll forever thank me for introducing him to the basics and the foundation of the game because someday he's very likely to come back to it if he goes away from it and does another sport or does something else. And when he does, that's going to be a big leg up on being able to have fun enjoying the game. You know, so I think that's that. And, and, you know, already – you know, he loves to go to the goat because I'm not, you know, I'm not putting club in his hand. We play tractors or we run around or chase the dog or whatever. We ride in the cart. We eat, you know, some Cheetos, whatever. But that's it. Is he, he, he looks at, let's go to the goat, dad. It doesn't mean we're going to work on his golf game. It means we're going to go see some friends and have some fun. All right. Episode number two in the books. For more information on the show and all the work National Links Trust is doing, check out NationalLinksTrust.com. I'm Michael Kornheiser. He's Claude Jennings. Until next time, thanks for listening to the National Links Trust podcast. I'm not going to lie. The first episode, Claude had me read out this liner and I felt like Ron Burgundy. (laughs) And so I just want to say this. We'll switch it up. Until next time, memorize the view. Uh, I'm brought back to one of my first (laughs) golf trips with my dad. It was uh, the week after the Super Bowl, and we were in southern Florida, and my dad just turns to me, and it's one of those transitional moments where we were going from being father and son to golfers and experiencing that kind of trip and that moment together. So nice. memorize this view. So much of what we're doing is staying present, staying in the moment with what's going on in these golfing communities and what's going on with us as golfers all together. So memorize this view. Memorize this view.